Welcome to the Richard Blackby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackby Ministries International. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Book Review yes. segment of the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. Richard. I love reading leadership books. Uh, you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have never known. <laughs> uh, well, it's that time again. We dive into a book that uh, Richard's reading or has read and uh, give a few key takeaways. Uh, so f- what do you have for us today, Richard? Well, I wanted to look at a book that uh, has been an influential book, uh, a different kind of leadership book in some ways. It's by Howard Gardner, and it's entitled Leading Minds, An Anatomy of Leadership. Hmm. And uh, he uh, he does several things that are kind of interesting. Uh, one, of course, he's doing what a lot of folks try to do, and that is to find what, what is leadership, what is it in its essence, and what does a leader look like? And and one of the things he does is uh, to examine 11 particular people in history that exerted an influence and to try to say, well, these all are leaders, but very, very different kinds of people. And yeah, so that, that to me, that's interesting. And uh, because I, I think it's really hard to not talk about leadership and then without also examining real life people and saying, right. well, because sometimes it's easier to say what leadership does than what leadership is. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, he, he says for his uh, definition, he says a leader is an individual or rarely a set of individuals uh, who significantly affects the thoughts, feelings, and or behaviors of a significant number of individuals. And that's not a bad definition. I'm not sure about uh, talking, including the group in that, but... Uh, but it's someone who affects thoughts, the way people think, the way they feel, and and what they do, and a, a large number of people. And again, I, I would say, well, I think you can even lead one person. I don't know that necessarily it has to be a large number mm. for you to be yeah. a leader. You're, a, But uh, in, in his study, he's looking at people that did affect a large number of people. And, uh, and he does something else that's kind of interesting. He talks about... Uh, two different kinds of leadership. He talks about direct leadership and indirect leadership. And one of the things you'll find with Gardner is he's going to take a little bit different uh, approach to some things. And so uh, early in the book, he has a picture of um, the three major allied power uh, leaders in Franklin Roosevelt, Joseph Stalin, and Winston Churchill. They met in Iran at a certain point to discuss uh, the strategy for the war, what they would do afterward, and they took a photo op of those three leaders, and basically they're dividing up the world after they defeat Germany and Japan. And so in that moment, they're commanding uh, what will be the victorious armies in World War II and determining the future of entire nations and regions of the world. And so Gardner would say, now that's direct leadership. That's commanding armies, that you're occupying territory, you're deciding who even will be in the government in some cases. Um, But then he has a picture of Albert Einstein. And he says, now he never was a general. Uh, He was never elected in office. but But he had enormous influence by his thinking. Uh, by the way he solved problems, uh, 
by the way he looked at reality. And, uh, and so Gardner would ask, who exerted the greatest influence over time? Someone who thought differently and uniquely in a breakthrough kind of way, or someone that was an elected official for a period of time. Uh, of course, once, I mean, someone like a Churchill uh, has an influence even after he's dead, obviously, by what he's done. But, of course, once they stop leading, their direct influence is over. They, they can't tell anyone what to do anymore. Mm-hmm. But when you have thought, when you've changed the way people think and how they view reality, that impact can last m- much longer than your own life itself. So he, he starts out with some interesting things he says, and, uh, and then, he, then he begins to examine 11 different kinds of people and all different types of walks of life to try to see what is it that is characteristic of all of them. And I mean, he's looking at people like Eleanor Roosevelt, George Marshall, Martin Luther King Jr., Mahatma Gandhi, Pope John Paul XXIII, Alfred Sloan that uh, led uh, uh, GM, uh, and women, men, military people, government people, uh, thinkers, uh, all all kinds of uh, different people. But he would say, in their own way, they all exerted the kind of influence that leaders exert. All different kinds of personality types. You know, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, very different than a Margaret Thatcher. Yet he would say, but they were all leaders. They all exerted an influence. Yeah, so it's a it's a wide variety of, of leaders and wide wide variety of personality types uh, that he examines. And uh, does Gardner say anything... Um, that there's any, you know, one thing that that leaders have to do to be leaders? Well, one thing he says that's kind of interesting, he says leaders fashion stories, principally stories of identity. It is important that a leader be a good storyteller, but but equally crucial that the leader embody that story in his or her life. And you'll discover that storytelling is a huge part of leading. Um, Hmm. And one of the things he says, which we've found to be, true is that the the power of a story is that it speaks both to the mind and the heart. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you can do like a PowerPoint presentation and give a bunch of data about why we need to change this in our organization, but uh, it's just speaking to the mind. But, uh, but a story, you can still have data in a story, but now it, it speaks to the heart. It touches the emotions, and uh, that is much more powerful. And so... Leaders always have stories. So like uh, if you're a Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, and you're telling a story about I have a dream and you're envisioning what is going to happen one day and how people will treat each other and how children will uh, relate to their parents and the stories they'll tell, what it will look like one day. Well, that's, that's a story of the future. And he's picturing for people. He's not just giving them concepts. He's actually right. picturing for all the people gathered before him, what the future is going to look like one day. That's a story of the future that can be very compelling. It speaks to the heart. And, uh, and, and so he would say all of these leaders in one way or another uh, had stories to tell that mobilized people, that people bought into and said, yeah, we, we want that. that. That's a desirable future. That's the kind of uh, picture that we'd like to see become a reality one day. We're willing to invest our lives to make it so. Uh, and so you could be in all like lines of work. Uh, I remember when I was a seminary president in Canada, at one point we were going to build a brand new building, and it was going to be 
uh, an academic building that housed uh, uh, all of our classrooms and a bookstore and faculty uh, offices and so on. And and I remember as we were building that, uh, at one point it's just a concept of, okay, it's going to cost this much money, it's going to be this many square feet, uh, it's going to take this long to build, it'll require this many volunteers, it's all numbers, data. But at a certain point, I was inspired to say, I envision a day where you'll be able to walk down this the hallways of this building, and you'll, you'll pass a classroom, and there'll be people studying their Master of Divinity degree, uh, which was the, the bedrock degree in that school. And I said, but then you'll go on down the hall, and you'll look in this classroom over here, and there'll be uh, a bachelor's uh, degree program, which at that time, we didn't even have, we weren't offering a bachelor's degree. Yeah. And I said, down here, there's going to be a, a doctor of ministry seminar taking place. Well, we didn't offer that either at the time. And I said, you go further down, there'll be a master of religious education a class. And all of those will be going on at the same time. You'll just hear the hum through the hallways of all these this different instruction. And, and uh, you know, I could have just said, we're ultimately hoping to offer at least four different degree plans here. Um, but instead, I, I tried to picture what it will look like. Uh, and interestingly, I began to hear professors telling that same story when they'd be talking about the building. And, well, why are you building this building? And they'd say, well, because we see a day. And they would yeah. start to tell the story. And so we faced lots of challenges as we were trying to raise the money and get the volunteers to build the building. But there was a story that captured the whole, why are you doing all this? Why are you raising all this money? Why are you making such sacrifices? And there was a story we would tell. Uh, well, because we see a day when it's going to be like this. And uh, that began to embody uh, the whole point of what we were doing. And so Gardner would say, these leaders are great storytellers. And and I would just say, a lot of people will say, well, Richard, you're, you, you're good at telling stories. I've just never been a great storyteller. Well, you can get better. <laughs> don't Don't <laughs> resign yourself to that. Listen to good storytellers. Listen to what they say. Sometimes we can put too much detail in that's unnecessary. Don't get bogged down in all the details. Just ask yourself, just what are the key details I want people to walk away and to remember? Do they need to remember the four different degree plans? Do they need to remember uh, it's about students, not about just uh, you know degree uh, programs in your academic calendar? Think about what really is important and, and, and fashion those into a story that's compelling. And, uh, and, and, and you'll, you, you can improve on that. Don't, don't resign yourself to say, I'm just a bad storyteller. You, you can get better uh, if you'll work at it and be focused and think through your stories. Make sure that the stories you tell about your organization uh, are ones that are inspiring and, uh, and you can take your leadership to another level. Yeah, and storytelling, I mean, that's sort of the, you could say the bedrock of humanity in some ways, because yeah. it's, I mean, that's it's what we use in, in everything, movies, books, I mean, story is, is, is what compels people. Yeah, and people would say even that our brains, that's how it stores information. Yeah. We don't really store random facts as much as we, if I ask you, well, what did you do over the holidays? You don't start listing. Well, I ate this many meals. I watched this many programs. You yeah. you start you tell me stories. Well, yeah. we went here. We did this. Uh, that's even how we register information. So we we're wired 
uh, to process stories. That's kind of a language that cuts through every culture. I, I speak in a lot of different countries, and it, you have to be careful sometimes with cultural stories. You can talk about stuff that uh, people in a certain country won't identify with, but, but a fundamental story about me relating to my child or my, my spouse or a personal area of failure that God helped me overcome, you can tell that story on any continent and people will be riveted to your story because that those are universal issues that everybody faces and yeah. they resonate with that. So if you can put your leadership into a story that connects with people's hearts, uh, people are going to want to buy in and they want to follow where you're, where you're leading. Well, let's take a quick break here. Ready to take your leadership to the next level? The Entrepreneurial Leaders Program is a one-week intensive course at Oxford University designed to help marketplace and entrepreneurial leaders develop the skills they need to have a greater impact on their business and community. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to study under Dr. Richard Blackaby and other leadership experts at one of the world's most prestigious academic institutions. This transformational course will run from August 11th through 19th, 2019. For more information or to register, visit entrepreneurialleaders.com. The link will be in the show notes. So Richard, any last uh, thoughts that you have on Gardner's book on leadership? Yeah, there's several things that he touches on that I found personally interesting as he analyzes various leaders. One is that he, he looks a lot at what he calls antecedents to leading and looks at uh, people's lives as they emerged, even as children. And so, for instance, there was one study that showed that about 60% of British political leaders had, had lost a parent in, when they were children, uh, most times their father. And mm -hmm. uh, like a higher than normal percentage of people that were in leadership positions in the nation had been bereft of, a, of their father early in life. That was, that was kind of interesting. A lot of the totalitarian leaders, like a Hitler or Stalin, had a horrible relationship with their father. Stalin was beaten by his father. Uh, Hitler hated his father and, but loved his mother. Uh, and th there have been various theories about that. Uh, Churchill admired his parents but was not close to them. His father had no time for him. I didn't think much of him. And so, uh, you know, Gardner kind of explores what, what drives some of these people uh, to greatness as leaders, whether for a positive or negative reasons. Uh, a couple other things. He has a couple of quotes that are interesting. He says, great leaders are almost always great simplifiers. Hmm. Uh, life can be complex. Problems can be complex. Leaders have a way of simplifying it, getting it down to the fundamentals. Here are the things that we've got to address. They don't oversimplify and you know make it just kind of with naive, simplistic answers, but uh, but but they wade through all the various smoke and mirrors to say, here's the real issue. They get yeah. and, then, and then they communicate it. So because a lot of followers, they'll just see so many problems that it's overwhelming, and the leader will say, no, you know, really, if we address these two things, it will it will turn things around. Yeah, uh, taking things down to the core of. Of what it is that, you know, the core yeah. of the problem or taking the next step. And so, you know, whether you're Martin Luther King Jr. or Mahatma Gandhi, there's all kinds of issues their nation, their people are facing, but you don't run after dozens and dozens of issues. You you hone in and say, we can tip it here. If we can get leverage there, then things are going to change. Um, another quote he said that I thought was interesting, I've really uh, looked at a lot. He says, uh, 
Sooner or later, nearly all leaders outreach themselves and end up undermining their causes. And I thought that was uh, interesting. And you see that a lot in history where leaders will start off very visionary, uh, dynamic, charismatic leaders, but sometimes they go... They, they overreach themselves. They go too far. They stay too long. Uh, they become filled with pride, and all of a sudden it's about them and not about the cause anymore. And I think that's always a danger when a leader stays too long. Uh, before you begin to overreach yourself, before you become bigger than life, a person where it now is about you instead of the organization, uh, be sure to leave uh, before them. And one last quote uh, to mention uh, Monet, one of the people he looks at, says, nothing is made without men, nothing lasts without institutions. And uh, that's another one you sort of pause and, and ponder. But uh, you can affect people in, uh, on a day-to-day basis, but organizations, he said, sort of embody the change and the, the, the investment. If you haven't, people are scattered and uh you know, uh, in time, people will move on. But if you leave an organization behind, it can outlast you mm. and continue the work long after the individual people that you work with are gone. Uh, they may all have moved on or retired eventually, but the organization that you started will last. And so interesting insight as well. Yeah, and, and if you want to, we did a whole podcast on leading by leaving, episode 28. Yeah, yeah. Uh, going back to that, it, if you'd like to listen more about that, episode 28 of the podcast, we dedicate the whole thing to knowing when to leave. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I think a, a lot of leaders have, have overstayed uh, past their expiration uh, date, if you yeah, will. Yeah. You mentioned some other books that Gardner's written. Yeah. One other thing that Gardner writes, which, I th- which would be interesting, I think, uh, for some people to look at, uh, and, and he has written a whole bunch on what is called multiple intelligences. And mm. and uh, I, our listeners may not all be familiar with that, but what he, he, he has an interesting point. He says, we have traditionally measured intelligence with the IQ test. And so what's your IQ? It'll tell, right. you, it'll tell us how smart you are. And if you have a low IQ, then you're not very smart. And the problem is, he would say, is that IQ measures a certain kind of smartness. If you're good yeah. at uh, reading, if you're good at uh, math problems, if you're uh, good at uh, remembering things and spitting it back out on an exam, then you're you're considered smart. But what he would say is, but that's only one kind. There, there's a number of different kinds of intelligence. And so, for instance, he would say, uh, you know, this, this, this person doesn't do well on a written test, but he can fix anything. You know, he, if, if something's, br- and, he, and you know, those kind of people that are absent-minded professors that they can blow a test out of the water, but they're horrible with people. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, they're constantly offending people. They're saying things that are rude that they don't intend to be, but that's just how they are. And yet, uh, Gardner would say some people have, uh, emotional intelligence, uh, people skills, where they can walk in a room and just make friends with anybody. They can get anybody to open up and trust them. Yeah. And so when it comes to sales, uh, they may not do well on a test, but boy, they can sell snow to an Eskimo. <laughs> uh, and and fixers are people that, you know, you, you, you they walk in the room with nothing but a, but a jackknife and they're fixing all kinds of yeah. things that are broken. And you're not going to ask the you know the the university professor how to fix uh, 
that electrical outlet. Uh, he may be supposedly the smartest guy in the room, but that's not who you ask to fix things. And not just even physical fixing, but there are, there are problem solvers who are just great at solving problems, issues. Uh, there are people who are really smart at languages. I am not one of those. Uh, <laughs> as we've shared before, my French teacher announced I had a fungus for a brain. And mm. so here I am. I, I earned a PhD. So you'd say, well, you must be pretty smart. But if you saw my French exams, you'd say, this guy as the intelligence of a broccoli, you know, it's just like, uh, and so the, what he says, I think is quite revolutionary is that just because you're not a, a quick book reader, just because you don't always score well on multiple choice test questions does not mean that you're not smart. It just means that your brain is not wired, uh, to excel with those kind of challenges, but there's other kinds of challenges and smartness. And so, you know, he, he has a book actually called, he, he's written several books on the subject, but one of those that is related to leadership is called Five Minds for the Future. And he talks about five different kinds of leadership minds that all are based on different kinds of intelligence. He, he talks about a disciplined mind, a synthesizing mind, a respectful mind, a creating mind, and an ethical mind. And those are just five that he would say in terms of leadership minds are all uh, different kinds of leadership ways of thinking. And so what he says as you read the book is, number one, the, the way your mind is set, the kind of intelligence you have will determine how you lead. And you need to find a job that uh, will require that kind of leadership where you can excel. But at the same time, uh, you also need to know how uh, each of your staff are wired. What what are they good at? Don't don't uh, assign uh, people that uh, you know have one kind of intelligence with a different kind of task. And uh, and so in his book, he talks about how to cultivate different kinds of intelligences and uh, uh, how to work and help people to thrive. Uh, and you, you don't lead them all the same way. Uh, you've got to understand. What is this person's gifts, uh, and how do they? What what kind of treatment helps them respond best? So, I, I I think for some of our listeners who may have always done kind of poorly in school, there's uh, hope. Yeah, and you know I think that's very freeing, and I think uh, yeah. if for, for there's been a bunch of people, for instance, uh, I, I know a number of people who are dyslexic. Well, that immediately goes against them on, a, test on IQ well. tests. Yeah. yeah, like if you're going to take a traditional IQ test and you're dyslexic, you're, when you've got to read quickly and comprehend and spew that back out on uh, test questions. So I've known uh, some of the smartest people I know are, are dyslexic. And, uh, of course, dyslexia has nothing to do with intelligence. Uh, yeah. But whether you, you can read or remember things uh, in a traditional way is the issue but but sadly there's a bunch of people who came out of school that focuses focuses on one kind of intelligence mm. and they came out of school thinking that they were stupid and so they didn't even try to apply themselves they never thought that they could ever be a leader because they weren't very smart the fact is they were brilliant when it came to working with people when it came to solving problems uh when it came to navigation and having a sense of bearing you know there's some people that just always know where they are, you drop them into the middle of inner city Beijing and they can find their way back to the train station. You know, it just, it's amazing to me that directional sort of intelligence that I, I also don't have. 
uh, people can be visiting a country and come out knowing dozens of local words already, not able to navigate talking to the locals in their own language after being there three days. And it's like, how on earth would you know that? Well, there's just a lot more intelligence out there than we give credit for. Uh, and so I, I think Gardner makes an interesting contribution there. And I think that goes back really to his Leading Minds book where he's, he has 11 different diverse kinds of people who all exert an influence, but they're all different and they lead different ways. Yeah. And so hopefully for some that might just offer some hope. Uh, if you're someone who's always said, well, I'm just not much of a leader or I'm not necessarily the sharpest knife in the drawer, yeah. uh, that you might have been one of those victims who, because you were not wired to do well in a traditional IQ test, you mistakenly thought that meant you weren't smart. And the, because you don't like reading, that you weren't smart, or you, you couldn't remember certain kinds of, of things that you learned in a traditional way. But all your life you've been able, you know, and, and people like that will say, well, I'm, I'm not that smart, but I'm fairly good with people. And what I would say, well, no, you're smart with people. You have emotional intelligence. You're not just good with people. Or, you know, I don't know what it is, but whenever there's a problem, people always come to me. I'm not that smart. I don't know why they come to me. And I would say, well, you are smart. You've got solve, problem-solving intelligence, which is mm -hmm. huge. Everybody yeah. needs that. You will always be a valuable commodity. But don't say you're not smart. You just have a way of figuring things out. Uh, no, you you have intelligence. You are a very intelligent person. It just it is wired to help you think this way and to solve these kinds of problems. And a wise leader is going to figure out how are my people wired. What is it that they're really smart at? And then you're going to let them go to it uh, and exercise and really spread their wings in the fields that their minds are wired to do well in. Well, that's great, and it's. Uh, like you said, very liberating to know that there's more than one kind of intelligence. I'm going to keep looking for intelligences until I find one that I have. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. We'll have to expand that. Uh, Gardner may have to invent some more categories. Yeah. Well, this has been a, a great, um, just a great time to just dive into this book. And speaking of books, we uh, we like to try and tell you guys in advance what mm -hmm. the next book we're going to do. So perhaps you can read along, or, or at least if you've read it before, you'll know uh, what questions to send our way or to ask. Uh, Leading Change uh, by John Cotter. That is a classic. I actually read this when I did when I was in business school. Okay. Um, so that's yeah. what we're looking at and, next. Uh, and addressing one of the key waterloos of all leaders, and that is change. Mm. A lot of leaders have lost their job trying to change things. And so great, important topic for us to be unpacking in a few weeks. Great. Well, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at blackbee.org.